Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Does the idea of stress actually stress you out? Chances are you weren't taught how to navigate stress, so you've likely been figuring it out as you go. A little meditation here, maybe some breathing exercises there, uh, but not knowing how to address the issue can add even more stress. And adults aren't the only ones that experience stress. Oftentimes, children develop adaptive coping skills to manage stress that will follow them into adulthood. These skills may or may not have a healthy long-term impact on general well-being. Whether you're an individual looking for guidance or a family seeking some support, Join my friend Lynn at ConnectFlowGrow on Instagram or at ConnectFlowGrow.com as she launches her two new exciting memberships, Stress Less Society and Stress Less Family. Through these memberships, Lynn will help you or your family learn how stress affects your lives and healthy ways that you can combat it. Join Lynn's waitlist on my website, StephenMiletto.com, on the front page or go to StephenMiletto.com sponsors. Look for the ConnectFlowGrow logo and select the class you think will help you the most, either Stress Less Society or Stress Less Family. By getting on the wait list, you'll make sure that you're the first to buy when it opens. Get ready to get your stress under control. Hey, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is partnering with the John Maxwell Company to bring interviews like Episode 402 with Jason Stoughton and Episode 403 with Jeff Henderson, and also to make you aware of the awesome leadership event called Live to Lead coming October 8th, 2021 to Atlanta, Georgia. Go to L2LATL.com for more information. And when you go to check out, use the code K12, get a special discount. See you there. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dr. Donna Marks. She is an educator and a licensed psychotherapist and addictions counselor. And check this out. She's worked with over 6,000 patients over the past three decades. She also is the author of the award-winning book, Exit the Maze. One addiction, one cause, one cure. What an incredible conversation today. You're going to learn so much, and I can't wait for you to listen. Thanks for being here. And by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if you would go to my website, stephenmiletto.com slash reviews, and left a review for the podcast. Could you do that? Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmiletto.com sponsors, find the NVTA logo, and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. You know, I've had the good fortune to connect with several representatives from KitCaster, a podcasting booking agency. They reached out to me on behalf of their clients who want to spread the word about their book, their story, their ideas, their businesses, and so much more. KitCaster has been such a pleasure to work with, and I always enjoy working with their clients. Now, KitCaster is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, which is really cool, and and I got to ask you, have you been wanting to tell your story on podcasts? Podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand. If you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with KitCaster. Go to kitcaster.com TLLK12 
or go to my webpage at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors, click on the KidCaster logo, and apply for a special offer for just the friends of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Dr. Donna Marks has developed a breakthrough treatment approach to addiction, one that offers long-term relief and help to America's addicted, whether one suffers from drug, alcohol, eating, gambling, shopping, smoking, or sex addiction. She's an educator and licensed psychotherapist and addictions counselor who has worked with over 6,000 patients over the past three decades. A speaker, author, and educator, Dr. Marks often discusses her own struggle with addiction, how it brought her to worldwide search for healing. She was once a single mom, high school dropout, who overcame her challenges and addictions. She became licensed as a mental health counselor in 1987. In 1989, she earned a doctorate degree in adult education, then became certified in addictions, gestalt therapy, psychoanalysis, hypnosis, and sex therapy. Dr. Marks developed an award-winning addiction training program at Palm Beach Community College that has since grown into a four-year college degree program, for which she was given an award of appreciation by the school. She has also received the Peter Fairclough Award for service in the field of recovery and a mobilization for action through planning and partnerships community service award by the Governor's Council for Community Health Partnerships. Dr. Marks is the author of the multi-award winning Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Cure, and Learn, Grow, Forgive, A Path to Spiritual Success. Dr. Marks created an effective online course for people who want to be cured of addiction. For 30 years, she has taught A Course in Miracles. Donna, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, everybody, and thank you so much for having me on your show, Steve. Well, I'm glad you're here. And uh, Donna, before we step into your book, Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Cure, uh, would I be safe in saying that most people do not understand what addiction is? And if so, why don't we? Well, we've been conditioned to look outside of ourselves to find that missing something. And so from the time that we're very young, and it's even worse now with video games, uh, you know, and, and electronics, but, you know, the, the, the cure to all of our ails is either in, you know, buying something new or falling in love or uh, the delicious food we enjoy, uh, you know, uh, or a, a drink or a drug. I mean, the, uh, the list is endless. So we've really been conditioned to uh, look outside of ourselves for fulfillment. And that's what we do. We, we unconsciously do it. We don't even realize it. And then by the time uh, we start having some type of emotional or physical symptoms, it's too late. We've already become addicted and we don't even know it. Gotcha. It, you know, and it, it, and it does seem just, I mean, before we know it, there we are. So, uh, so many, and with so many things, and you've written the award-winning book, Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Cure. Uh, do you remember what inspired the book? Uh, yes, my, yes is the answer. <laughs> you know, I, I was raised, I was raised in addiction. I'm in recovery from addiction. I have children in recovery from addiction. I have uh, marriages that involved addiction, and I've been working in the field for 30 years, so I've, I've learned what personally and professionally, I've learned what does and does not work in terms of treatment. I got you. Gotcha. The, uh, you know, it, one of the things I want to do is, uh, at some point, uh, get you to talk a little bit more about that, but, uh, you, you know, in, 
as we look into your book, in the introduction of Exit the Maze, you say this. When we think of a maze, most of us think of a fun puzzle that we did as children. It had an entrance and an exit, and the only goal was to find your way out. Uh, could you explain where you're going with this imagery? Because it works very well as that chapter moves on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so the maze gets created when we are constantly um, imploded with images, either by our caretakers or through advertising or, or whatever the case may be, our, our peer groups, that if we use this particular thing or try this particular thing, we're going to feel better. And we do feel better, you know, for a while anyhow. And then we want more of it. And then we need more. And we get, as we want more and need more, we get further and further into the maze. It's like we lose our individual thought process and our ability to reason and have good judgment because we want that particular thing. And so we go deeper and deeper inward. Uh, it, it provide, it, some people are trying to get rid of pain. Some people are just trying to get rid of that emptiness inside. But regardless of the motivation, it, it does, uh, we go down the rabbit hole, yes, and we go further and further into the maze. Gotcha. The, you know, one of the things that uh, um, I think is interesting is that uh, we have lots of different thoughts about what we think of as addiction, I guess. And, you know, it's it's kind of reinforced, like you said earlier, by whether people planting that seed in our brain or whether it's uh, um, images that if we've seen on TV or in movies or or whatever, or just, you know, just, you know, just the way we talk, thinking about what uh, addiction looks like. You know, one of the things that uh, um, you talk about in part one of your book is uh, to overcome the addiction epidemic, the first thing we need to let go of is the idea that there are multiple addictions. Could you talk about this? Yes, I don't believe there's multiple addictions. You know, I recently had a conversation with somebody who I was referring a patient to up in New York. Uh, he had uh, a substance uh, abuse problem and um, gambling. And I was told by the therapist in New York, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable dealing with gambling addictions. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, my specialty is, is uh, substances and then so-and-so does gambling. And I said, well, um, there's really only one addiction. And so if you can treat one, you, you, you need to treat all because the addiction is this feeling inside, this void. It's an emptiness. It's what I call the invisible hole. And we are constantly trying, trying to find something to fill that emptiness. It's like there's a, a vacuum cleaner you know, hose coming out of that hole and it's constantly searching for the next quick fix. So it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's romance. It doesn't matter if it's porn. It doesn't matter if it's shopping. It doesn't matter if it's gambling. It doesn't matter what it is. It's that attempt uh, repeatedly to try and fill that emptiness. And of course, None of those things will ever do that. What happens is the maze grows wider and the void grows wider along with the maze. Gotcha. And by the way, was that a fun conversation after you said what you said to him? Well, that was a long silence. That's what I was wondering. And he said, yeah, I kind of get that. Um, and then uh, I spoke with the, um, the director there and, and sent a copy of the book and, and they said they may be interested in me doing a presentation. So, uh, and, and with COVID, I haven't heard anything yet. It's not, you know, everyone's kind of in limbo right now with COVID, but um, I, you know, I, this is my, this is my mission and purpose to save millions of lives because most people are dying from addiction. They're not dying from illness. You know, one of the things that you get into are a couple of things, just like, 
you know, kind of what you ran into there with um, that gentleman, which is you know, the, some of these other ideas. And, and uh, something you talk about in the book is called diagnosis delusion. Can you talk about that? Yes. Well, uh, what happens, and, and I see it all the time in my practice, <clears throat> someone will come in and uh, their life is unmanageable. You know, it's just not working. You know, there's just one tragic or crisis situation after the next. And um, the first thing that I start looking for is what, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> what are you doing with your time? <laughs> and, you know, people don't realize they have addictions. But uh, many of them will come in and they will have seen a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist has put them on antidepressants or the psychiatrist has um, subscribed them. The most common thing is, you know, Valium or, or Xanax uh, for anxiety disorders and uh, or, you know, some other medication for OCD or, um, you know, a, a mood stabilizer for uh, depression or psychosis or whatever the case may be. And so what I what what, what I like to do is have people be uh, off of substances altogether and see what's left. And just about 90% of the time, most of the people that come to see me have some type of addiction. So, and usually if they have one, they have a substance issue going on too. Although some people don't drink because they grew up or they just realized they couldn't, you know, that's very rare. Uh, some, but some, some people get addicted to opiates and they don't even know that, you know, so it just, it's a never ending thing. Um, they get addicted to their, they, 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 let's say they're depressed, they get put on Zoloft or something, then they try to go off of it and they go through massive withdrawal symptoms and they can't go off of it. So, and, and I'll say like, really, we want you to, to try and be off of substances so that you can, you know, see, let your brain recover and heal and restore to its natural state, which, you know, takes us to the other chapters which are about how to have your brain be healthy and how to love yourself but anyhow so that's it but the doctor told me i have to take this i have to take this xanax for the re you know rest of my life I have an anxiety disorder it's not going to go away so god told them that and so therefore it's programmed in their head they have to do it plus the fact that whenever they get nervous or upset they take it you know three times a day or as needed you know <laughs> and so they become psychologically dependent they may not necessarily become physically addicted, although if someone is on a benzodiazepine and they have been on it for a long time and they try to go off, they can have seizures. So it's dangerous. No one should just go off of their medication. There's a process and a protocol. But that's what I mean. So the psychiatrist tells them one thing. I tell them another. Oh, okay, so let's say they go to a treatment center for their addiction and um, the treatment specialists tell them something else. And then they go into uh, recovery rooms and then their sponsor tells them something. So it just becomes another maze right. of craziness. <laughs> Same thing. I treat mental, mental disorders. Almost all of them have some type of addiction involved and, you know, no, 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 I, I'm, you know, I'm this and I'm that. And, uh, you know, I have people all the time that have been diagnosed as mood disorders and bipolar disorders when really they have substance uh, disorders or other types of unhealed trauma. And so once we, you know, get them to the bottom of all that and they learn how to take care of themselves, they don't need medication. So uh, if you don't believe me, there's, uh, there's a, a psychiatrist down in Miami named Kelly uh, Broberg who has thrown away her prescription pad. She is highly credible and, and very well educated uh, in the Ivy League universities, and she is, she is not treating any disorders uh, with medication anymore. So this is like 
what these are like breakthrough concepts that you really can you know you're born perfect and you can restore yourself to that state you have to learn how to do it and you have to be willing to care enough about yourself to do it get out of the delusion of you know you need this and you need this and you need this gotcha and then you could see where uh, that would you know before covid it it didn't go away but uh it kind of disappeared into the woodwork as far as a, a news story i guess but you could see how what you just described is is how the opioid crisis would become a crisis. I mean, people, I got to have this. They said, I got to have it, and I take it, and it makes something go away, but does it stop the problem? Right. So I, I've dealt with a lot of people who are addicted to opiates, and it's the most, as with all addictions, it's just beautiful when the light starts to go off, you know, the light bulb, you know, because they don't want to give it up. You don't understand, you know, they get mad. You don't understand how much pain I'm in. And I say, but I do understand. And, you know, I, I've lived with back pain and all kinds of pain myself. I don't take anything for it, but I do understand. I, what I understand is that your body will manufacture the pain so that your brain can justify in taking something and it becomes a vicious cycle. And so, but they, they often will not want to, and sometimes they're near dead before, you know, I'll say, like I recently worked with someone who, you know, she was going to all these doctors and she got like five different diagnoses, you know, rheumatoid arthritis and this and this and this and this and, uh, you know, her cholesterol and, you know, she's, but her problem was addiction. Finally, you know, she was so angry with me because I kept saying, you know, we've got to get you off these pills before we can determine anything. And she was just stuck in this medical maze of craziness. And she finally, with her opiate doctor, weaned off of it. And now she's like, uh, not only that, then it was alcohol. And then she said, and I'm not going to take the Xanax anymore. I used to live in fear. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of an elevator. I'm not afraid of people. I'm not afraid to go outside. <laughs> I, I don't even need my service dog anymore. So this is the beauty and the miracle of, of what when someone learns to love themselves and care about themselves and to give up this illusion that there's a pill or a person or a thing or any of that that can that that you have to have in order to be well and to be have be happy you know we're here to enjoy our lives we're not here to suffer but so many people are suffering very much so very much so you, can we take it like a side journey here and and kind of bring us into i mean because with COVID over the last i mean what do you, what do you think did that make it worse or better Oh, COVID was a total disaster for people with addictions because if they had one, let's keep in mind what stayed open. You know, you couldn't go to a restaurant, but you could certainly go pick up your liquor at the liquor store. Right. And, um, you know, the marijuana clinics were rocking along. And, uh, you know, it was like, you know, what you need to do through all this is eat, drink, and be merry. And, <laughs> and that's what a lot of people did. Some people took the time to do a reset for themselves. Not many, but a few did. And so um, they would say like, wait a minute, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause here and I'm gonna really, you know, kind of do some things that I wouldn't normally do. And some of them started uh, exercising. They, they went, on, uh, went off of foods that weren't good for them. Um, I heard a, excuse me, I heard a podcast one time, a gentleman was saying that he, his drug dealer couldn't bring his drugs. And after, you know, two or three days, he was like really jonesing, but he, he had that miracle moment that he said to himself, like, who am I? 
who am I? Like, am I just somebody here to just be on drugs all the time? You know, so just having that three-day break, he got his sanity back, and he said, I'm done. You know, I'm just absolutely done. And that's a very powerful message. It was like, no major treatment, no major this, no major that. I'm just done. And he wound up, you know, getting additional help for his uh, to, to support his recovery, as we all need. But um, that's the miracle. And that's an example of how COVID could either really accelerate addiction or um, be an opportunity to question your life and to, to make some major life changes. There's another thing I want to say about all the deaths and of COVID and the whole COVID thing. Like what really upset me was um, some two things. One was that, you know, clinics were shut down for people who needed help. Um, they were isolated from their support systems if they were in treatment. Um, hospitals would not treat other conditions, only COVID conditions. And um, it, it, was, it was very tragic. And the people in recovery, like it, let's say you're a month sober or the meetings shut down. Like not everybody has as numbs about Zoom and all that, you know, and, or even how to get on. I mean, that's, you know, you have to kind of be <laughs> yes. operational. And so a lot of people, wow, I was reading it recently, like the, it, it increased like 60% the deaths, you know, of, of addiction. So this is insane to me that if you got COVID, you need to worry. We need to do everything we can to save you. If you have this other addiction, you know, if you have an addiction, you know, so what? So to me, the major medical health crisis on our planet is addiction because most people that are dying from COVID or any other illness are addicted. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's take heart disease, the number one cause of death. We're not, we're not scaring everybody sober there. What causes heart disease? Alcohol, sugar, trans fats, lack of exercise. Why, why aren't they pounding the drum on this? Stop drinking. Stop smoking, stop taking drugs, exercise, eat without sugar and trans fats or eat very, very small amounts so you don't ever get addicted. No, they're not pounding the drum on that. So this is like really concerning to me because heart disease, not COVID, is the number one cause of death on the planet. Let's take stroke, same causes. Let's take liver disease, same causes. Let's take diabetes too. You can go right down the list of almost all the deaths. And who died of COVID? These people with these compromised conditions, but no one spoke about addiction. The root cause of all of this. That's powerful what you're talking about. I mean, because it, it really is, because I'm trying to think of what the saying is there. They're avoiding uh, what the real, there's, there's an issue there that needs to be brought to the forefront, but instead it's pushed to the side because it's more popular to talk about the other to be an expert on, uh, on the, the virus or whatever. That's, that's, it's sad yeah. actually, cause that's. <laughs> tragic. Um, it's tragic because when we look at the people that die every day of addiction, you can call it heart disease. You can call it stroke. You can call it overdose. It's all the same. And it's tragic. Boone titanium rings found on the web at boonrings.com is an affiliate partner of teaching, learning, leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. 
They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to BoonRings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You know, one of the things that uh, lots of people like to think, and you talk about this in your book, uh, is uh, they, they say, well, I'll just quit. Does abstinence work? Abstinence is definitely the first step, but not everybody can get there immediately. Sometimes people need to be um, educated and loved <laughs> into wellness. <laughs> and when I'm working with someone, I never give up on them, and I do love them, and I do care about them, and I don't get into their resistance with them. I keep visualizing their future and keep implanting that like how do you see yourself and why are you here and what is your mission i don't really i don't fall into that trap with them i i invite them out and i keep shining the flashlight to the exit so abstinence is a place to start but it's not enough because if there's been trauma and it hasn't been addressed and healed then that that malaise is not going to go away with abstinence and then the the third thing is Every addiction is a substitute for love. Every addiction. You know, we're trying to get that warm, cozy, good, comfy feeling. We're trying to get that excited, excitement. We're trying to get that hit. So until we learn how to get that from doing things that are loving and good for our soul and replacing all those uh, toxic behaviors with loving, real loving behaviors, which, you know, to me, love is an action word. It's not a feeling. You know, I'll tell you why. Like, here's a baby in the other room. It's two o'clock in the morning. The baby starts crying. I don't go, love you. <laughs> I don't go take the baby a cigarette, a shot of vodka, stick a porn side up. Here's your video game. No, I get up. I go in. I hold the baby. I comfort the baby. I feed the baby. I love the baby. It's an action word. And then I feel so good. And the baby and I feel so close to each other. We have to learn how to do that for ourselves. Get into action. Love is an action. That's awesome. I, and, and I'm guessing this has to do, well, and I know, I know, I know the answer to what I'm about to say, but it, it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, um, you know, because you've mentioned this briefly, and uh, you have a section in your book where it talks about there's this hole that we're trying to fill. And uh, can, you, can you go into that a little bit more detail? Because uh, I think that's going to lead us into talking a little bit more about love. Right. So, uh, you know, babies are born. In my opinion, they're born perfect. They're not born with brain disorders. Um, there could be something wrong if there was something uh, developmentally uh, going on in terms of, you know, a, a defect of birth. It could be that the mother was not taking care of her body uh, while she was pregnant. I mean, there's all kinds of things. But generally, babies are, are born perfect. They don't have brain disorders and they don't have addiction disorders. But if that attachment with the with the mom is not secure and the childhood is troubled the child internalizes that because mom and dad are god <laughs> and right. so what's wrong with me that i'm being screamed at hit sexually abused devalued degraded and those kinds of things that forms this feeling inside something is wrong and this is so important because we talk about you know, educating children to stay off drugs. But by the time they're ready to be educated to stay off drugs, it's too late. It has to start from conception. 
that that baby is loved and nurtured and treated like a sacred temple and that we treat ourselves and our own bodies like a sacred temple. And once that happens, when that 10 or 12 year old is uh, around kids who are saying, here, have this joint, they're going to be like, why would I want to do that? I hear it all the time from healthy kids, by the way. You know, the kids that aren't using, they are observing others and they're like, no, thank you, <laughs> because they don't need to feel something. They don't need to feel, they don't need to sacrifice their own well-being emotionally or physically to be a part of a, a group. You know, they feel fulfilled within themselves. But when there's been trauma that hasn't been healed, that a person, uh, a child is treated less than a beautiful, you know, lovable being, then that void starts to form. And what happens, as Freud so clearly pointed out, um, and, I, and I am a psychoanalyst, although I don't practice traditional analysis anymore, um, I combine it into, you know, my own work in terms of, you know, becoming that maternal object for people who did not have one and to rework that. But when, what, to go back to my point, when, when children have that void, you know, and those traumas, what happens is it, it's what's called repetition compulsion. They continue to do that throughout their life. It's an unconscious reenactment because unconsciously the mind is trying to heal and give you the opportunity to treat yourself with love and to heal the past. But if we don't make those connections, we don't understand. Gotcha. It, you know, it's, um, boy, you brought up a lot of stuff there that just, uh, you know, it's, I have to say this because like I, I had some extreme surgery I had to have done one time and they, as a result of it, they said, you know, we've put you on a morphine drip. And so all you have to need, need to do to, uh, you know, deal with that pain, depending on how bad it is, is push this little button. And, okay. and I'll never forget going, well, I'll push the button. And it gave me such a headache. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm not. And, uh, yeah, and it's like, what? <laughs> it's like, this is what people what want. <laughs> yeah. And see, I never got to that planet. I am like, how in the world? Because the morphine was like, it, it went straight to my head and went, uh, you know, all of a sudden I had this pain here. And it's like, you know, my leg was on another planet. But it, and I, and I, and it was funny that I remember the nurse commenting to me. She goes, you haven't used any of that. And I said, I said, yeah, it's because it makes me hurt. <laughs> I said, in another place, it's kind of like the Three Stooges routine. You know, if if it hurts in your foot, then I'll hit you in the head. You know, <laughs> does it hurt in the foot anymore? No, it hurts here. Um, I've never quite understood because I've known people who have, you know, abused uh, any number of psychedelic drugs too. And it's like yeah. uh, um, those have never quite gotten. But it, and, and I'm guessing that's how, you know, we, you know, at the understanding of what's going on and what we get addicted to, um, because it maybe it doesn't cause the pain or maybe it does something else as you're still trying to deal with that other stuff, um, that hole that you're talking about, filling whatever your, yours is. The, uh, well, you brought up a really good point because the physicians are um, the worst. And um, I mean, I love doctors. You know, I have lots of doctor friends. I love my doctors. <laughs> 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 but, 
you know, I have to often tell them, no, I don't want to take that. <laughs> I'm not going to take it. And I wish you would educate yourself about how addictive it is. You know, so, you know, sometimes I, you know, get the, that look like, <laughs> but that's okay because my mission is to save lives. So if someone doesn't like what they're hearing, uh, you know, that's their problem, not mine. Uh, but I see it all the time. You know, someone will be in recovery and they need a knee replacement. They need to have, uh, you know, some kind of surgery. Um, you know, and so the first thing that they're told when they go in for their pre-op, we're going to give you a prescription for opiates or for oxys or what, you know, tramadol or whatever. And, uh, you have to take this medication. You have to take it because if you, why? Because if you don't take it, you won't be able to get well. Why? Because if you don't take the medication, the pain will be so great that you will have to um, not, you will not be able to do your physical therapy. And so you won't heal properly. Now, this is the craziest thing that could ever happen because I'm talking about people in recovery. The last thing they should be doing, that'd be like saying, now you have to drink, you know, six drinks a day. I, I don't really care if you had a problem with alcohol. You have to do this in order to get well. I mean, it is so insane that it's unbelievable, but yet they do it millions of times a day and hospitals tell people this. And so doctor knows best, right? And I take my pill with prescription worth 90, to, uh, 90 pills and one refill. And by the time I'm on day two, is it four hours yet? Wow. Oh, oh, actually, I'm, I'm getting worse every day. I think I should, it says three to four. I think I should do three hours, you know, and it says three to four times a day, but there's 24 hours. So that would be eight times. Yeah. Oh, I'm running out. Oh, I tell them I'm just so much pain. I just need more. I mean, this is like the worst thing I've ever, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then they're kidnapped again. Their brain has been hijacked and the chances of them coming out of that without the right kind of support is very, very slim. Am I saying someone in recovery should never take pain medication? Of course, I'm not saying that. If you've had major surgery, you probably do need it for a couple of days. But the nerves start healing after two or three days. And there's nothing that Tylenol or, uh, you know, or if for swelling, Advil won't help. So at the very least, you, you have that medication monitored by a support person who understands but you don't ever tell someone you have to take this or you won't get well. That is complete insanity. It's, that's crazy. I can see that happening too. That's uh, you know, I, you know, just, just any number of things that people go through that does, you know, you do, you do have pain, but sometimes the medications, if you've paid attention to enough of the stories, you should be afraid of some of that stuff. Our bodies do heal. They actually do heal. It's just amazing how they just naturally heal. It's wild. They, they, <laughs> And they're more likely to do that when they're fully functioning. I was recently talking to a gentleman, also an opiate addict. He had a back injury and he's been on opiates. He's desperate. And this is where, the, this is a maze he's caught in. He described it very eloquently. He said, I, I, I take it all the time. It helps me to get up and go to work. It helps me to function, but I am addicted to it. I can tell I'm addicted to it. And I've tried to come off it a couple of times. And this is classic. I've tried to come off of it a couple of times. And when I got down to almost nothing, my, I was irritable. I was edgy. And my family told me they liked me better when I was on it. 
Wow. And that's, that's the story of addiction. You hear it again and again, whether it's alcohol, whether it's, you know, food, uh, whether it's someone addicted to their bags of jelly beans, you hear it all the time. When the behavior is stopped, that's why abstinence isn't enough because the person's got to live with all that yucky feeling. (laughs) And so if they don't heal that trauma or that discontent or that irritability, you know, and learn how to love themselves and others, they're not going to, they will be miserable. They will be miserable. You know, one of the things that uh, you're talking about in in the book and uh, and you're touching on as, as we're talking here is this this idea of, you know, love. And, and one of the things they have to do that you get into in the book is they have to choose love over fear. And, you know, we hear it in what you're describing there. Is there anything else you want to add to that with the, with the choosing, you know, how I guess difficult it could be to choose this other path over the fear that, you know. It's, right. Well, it's not difficult at all. It's very easy. And once you begin to understand that, that your only adversary in life is right inside your own mind, <laughs> but also all that you ever need is right inside your own mind. You know, we are, we are, um, we have intuitions. I don't care if you call it your conscious, your Holy spirit or what you want to call it, but each of us has a part. Every human being on the planet has a part in them that knows right from wrong. And that's our guiding light. It's a guiding light. But instead, you know, because of our life's experiences, we have become connected to this other voice that's nonstop. You got to do this. What time is lunch? What time is dinner? What are you going to do? How are you going to pay your bills? How, what if Sally's mad at you? What if you're bad boss? I don't want to go to work today. I don't like that way that car is driving. Why isn't that plan a different color? Why did this? Why, why is these politics the way they are? I hate that president. I love this president. I hate that. It never shuts up. Okay. And then it'll tell us. It'll make us miserable. And then that same voice that makes you miserable will tell you, oh, I can't wait to have that cocktail at five o'clock or have another pill or light up another cigarette or go get that candy bar. You deserve it. And that same exact voice, that same exact voice that told you to do that behavior turns right around and says, you stupid idiot. Why did you drink all that drink last night? That's why you feel so bad this morning. Go throw up, you stupid idiot. You ate all that food and you ate that whole bag of jelly beans. What's the matter with you? But wait a minute. (laughs) If someone would just say, wait a minute, you just told me to do it. (laughs) And now you're condemning me. If they would just do that for one second, they would have their freedom and power back because they would notice that voice is never going to stop. But we just learned to watch it like a movie. It's a movie and it's a bad movie. It's entertaining, but it's a bad movie. So we're just going to watch it, but we're not going to get up on the screen and start slapping people around. You know, we're just going to watch the movie. And we're instead of listening to that voice, we're going to listen to the other voice that's still and quiet and calm and says, you're doing just fine. Of course, you want to have a drink. Of course, you want to eat the chocolate pie. But, you know, how are you going to feel once you start? Because you're not going to stop. So why don't we try something else instead? What would you really like to do today if it weren't that? If it weren't that and it was something that would be good for you. And I see people with food addicts, they start taking cooking lessons on health foods and they feel so good and they love the things that they fix and they share them with other people. I see people get into gardening, 
I see people uh, join organizations that they've always wanted to join. I see people mentoring. I mean, there's so much in, in, in addition to recovery. You know, there's a there's a genius inside of everybody. Tap into it and and materialize it, whatever your gifts are, you know. And once this starts happening, they forget all about the addiction. This is what I teach people. Like you replace the addiction with an act of love and you'll, you won't even think, I don't think I had all of them. I never think about doing any of those things. I'm too busy enjoying my life. I am on fire. I'm in my sixties, you know, and I, I feel like I'm 16 again. You know, it's just a wonderful thing. And uh, you know, the, the, to just share and receive love. That's why we're here. We're not here to sit around and take this and get this and have that. We're here to share and receive love. We're here to laugh and play and have fun and have a good time. And if that's not what's happening, you're listening to the wrong voice in your head. I love that. And I love this part of your book. It's just because uh, it's reinforcing to, you know, to, to say none of this other stuff is needed. Just need to figure this part out. Uh, it, yes. You know, what, something that you really got close to just a minute ago. Uh, one of the things you get into in your book is that, uh, you, know, you talk about the doctors who can cause problems with as you're coming out of addictions. They can cause you to throw you right back into it. But also well-meaning family can. Can you mention some things there? Hey, Steve here. And my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Yes, well, not always well-meaning family. Some family members are envious and jealous, and they feel uh, uh, they feel very threatened with someone who goes into recovery. Um, so it's not always well-meaning. Sometimes it's deliberate sabotage, but more often than not, it's an unconscious sabotage. And I think I gave an example earlier of the gentleman who, when he tries to get off the opiates, he's edgy and irritable, uh, which, you know, if, if he were listening to the right voice in his mind, he would say, this is what these pills have done to me and I'm never taking them again. And I'm going to figure out how to get rid of this. You know, this, this is not my personality. I'm a nice guy. He was telling me, I'm a nice guy. I didn't used to be this way. So he's lost. So he wants to get himself back, but he's still listening to that voice and their voices now that are saying, take the pills. <laughs> so uh, what we, what we have to learn to do is really, you know, to, to not go there, to, to just take it a step further. Like, like, I, I feel like I, I'm a, a grave excavator. Like, have you ever seen the, the movie The Body Snatchers? Yes. Yeah. So good. Like, they didn't realize that they had been, that their whole mind, body, and soul had been kidnapped, you know, by alien forces. And so they didn't even care once they were kidnapped. They were just like, oh, it's not so bad. You know, they were just like, robotons you know right. and so we have become a world of robotons like we are fed so much negative information and we believe all this nonsense that we have disconnected from our own inner truth so what i do is help people to reconnect with their own inner truth who are you why are you here wake up get out of the grave <laughs> you know and it's the most rewarding experience in the world when that happens and they 
you know, at first, like, I don't want to get out of here. And then, you know, they start removing, you know, the tombstone and the sand and then they, they get up and they're wobbly, you know, but then all of a sudden here they are and they're, they have their lives back and they're getting married and they have a career that they, you know, they finish their degrees and it's a, it's a glorious experience. I can only, I mean, so much so just, I, and to be part of helping somebody get to that point has got to be amazing. It really has to. I had to help myself. You know, I, I struggled through all of this for 30 years. I struggled through all of it. And, uh, you know, from, from the time I was child, a child, I went to therapy the first time at 19. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't understand why I wasn't getting better. And all these things that I outline in the book are the reasons why. And also how I did through what I'm sharing with you. Which is awesome, and I appreciate it. And your book is powerful. And you know, Donna, as we're getting close to finishing up, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Well, they could go. Excuse me. They could go onto my website, www.drdonnamarks.com. They can order my book right there. And by the way, it has now won eighteen awards. Wow. So uh, that is thrilling. That the message is getting out, and people are responding to it, and they're receptive to it. Very, very excited about that. And uh, so they can order it there. There's also uh, some free meditations. I do a weekly blog. It may or may not be about addiction. It may just be about, you know, how to be happy kind of uh, blogs. And uh, so there's lots of free resources there. There's also some testimonies. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of help available. So the, the best source is the book is also on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. But the best uh, source of if they want to be in touch with me is through the website. Excellent. I'll make sure that information's in the show notes so they can find it there, which will be good and uh, and excellent. And, and I've got uh, two last questions that I ask you that just are things I like to ask my guests. And uh, the first one, how do, you, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Well, I never want to quit. <laughs> nice. Even when, uh, even when you know, the, the weeks are really dense and there's a lot coming at me like this current week. Um, I'm in a, I'm in a conference and we're, we're doing an exhibition for a, a coalition for addicted communities and it's uh, for doctors uh, that are interested in, you know, recovery. So, you know, that's going on. I brought my mother down from uh, Northern Florida, put her in assisted living. So that's going on. And, you know, plus I'm seeing patients. So this is like an exceptionally dense week. Um, but, you know, I'm, I wake up excited every morning. I go to sleep peaceful every night. And when, and when I, when it's, when it's, you know, when I'm, I'm bombarded, let's say, I just, you know, it's kind of like the tennis balls. You just, you can't focus on, you can't focus that there's a hundred tennis balls that are going to be coming at you. You just take one at a time. And then I decide I'm going to enjoy it. This is nice. This I, one of the greatest things I ever heard was I studied with Michael Singer, who's written the untethered soul. He's up in Alachua, Florida, great guy. Um, his whole life. I mean, he's a real deal. His whole life has really been committed to helping people. And, um, and he said, you know, rather than saying, I don't like this, start saying, I do like this. And that was a really powerful, one of those little tools of self-love, because when I say I don't like it, then I'm resisting it every step of the way. But when I say, oh, I like it, I'm getting better and better at tennis, then I, I maintain my, my, my state of peace and happiness. That's awesome. Love it. And I, I love the analogy, by the way, of <laughs> you had 100 tennis balls coming in. Oh, my gosh. We Right. Right. If you solve all the baskets of tennis ball, you know, your mind will see everything. That, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? This, 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 
And, uh, you know, I'm always like happy at the end of the day that that match is over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I also feel gratified that I was able to hit them all back across the court. It's excellent. I love that advice. I love that. And the last one. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Well, um, I've had a couple of significant teachers. One of them was Mr. Sheffy. <clears throat> I was um, a high school dropout. And then I wound up uh, getting my high school diploma. At the time, you took class. You could take the GED or take classes. So I took uh, some classes and got my diploma. And then a neighbor uh, told me about a job opening at adult education. So I actually applied and got the job. So I was a graduate of adult education. And then I became um, an employee of adult education. And one time, um, I was divorced. I had a, a two-year-old baby. And I had lost my paycheck. And... Um, I was frantic. I, I, I mean, I hadn't gone anywhere. It had to be there somewhere in the building, but it, and it wasn't a big building, uh, but it was nowhere to be found. It was one of those fluky, weird things. Uh, the, you know, I don't know if it, I, I don't know what happened. Anyhow, uh, so I was like frantic because I was living on such a limited income and I was not receiving any type of child support. So I was very, very frightened. And um, I, I went home and, um, and the next day, um, he no, that was a Friday. So it was on Monday. He he asked me, have, "Have you? I'm so sorry. I you know it, I, I I didn't ask you on Friday, but like, did you find your paycheck?" Or I said, "No." And I, and I started crying. And he goes, "Oh my goodness!" He said, "Let me give you some money. Let me loan you some money." And I'm like, I mean, I, it was the first time anyone had done that kind of gesture. Like I had received love in my life. Don't get me wrong. You know, everyone contributed to my life or I wouldn't have made it. But just that gesture of noticing and caring. And, you know, that really made me a more giving person in my life of being aware of people who have needs and they're suffering. They're suffering and they have needs and that I can maybe do some little thing like that. So that had a profound impact on me. You know, words, everybody's talking about spirituality and then and then. That is a demonstration. That's what I mean. Love is an action word. And so um, that, that really, I had food. You know, I tried to get a paycheck. You know, they, they, at the time, computers had just come out and she told me, no, you had to, I had to wait. I could get it, but I had to wait until the next biweekly paycheck. So that carried me, you know very modestly, but it carried me. And then um, my psychoanalyst, psychoanalyst, her name was Donna also, who unfortunately died two years ago at the age of 67, which was just heart-wrenching for me. But she was the maternal figure that I, I didn't have. And it was very reparative. And I was in psychoanalysis for 13 years. It didn't do all for me, but it did the piece for me about relationships. So um, I learned how to be more vulnerable. I learned how to trust. And I learned how to do some things that I did not know how to do. So that was a beautiful experience for me. And I also became a psychoanalyst. So I was able to now pass that on to, to my patients. And then M Michael Singer, of course, because he is somebody who was like um, a pothead and uh, very bright. And he was, um, he had that spiritual awakening where he was just kind of smoking pot and going to school he was a carpenter and um, you know he noticed this part of his mind like i was talking about the da the da the da and he started saying like who are you <laughs> to be in my mind <laughs> and he quit smoking pot he studied yoga he became very enlightened 
And, uh, and once he got his mind back, he started, um, he, he was also a computer, he was a, he was a carpenter, but he was also a computer geek. Once he got his mind back, he started becoming ma- a major producer and got some really great construction connections and started making a lot of money and he bought some land. And, and then um, because he was a computer geek, he developed some software that um, for medical personnel and that turned into, it uh, was purchased by WebMD. Wow. So this guy, wow. <laughs> And then he had all kinds of challenges from people that had betrayed and became, uh, you know, anyhow, his books are great, uh, but I studied under him. I, I would be in Gainesville while I have family that I'd go up there and whenever I was up there, I'd go in, sit, sit, we'd all sit on the floor, he would lecture for an hour. Um, and he does that three times a week, no matter what. It, and there's free, it's all free, free yoga every morning. And there's never, a, even though he's so popular now, there's never a lot of people there but it's a very powerful experience, and I, I, I really, it, it really helped me to understand my mind better. And of course, the Course in Miracles, which um, uh, I've studied for a long time, there's no person there. It's a Course in Miracles, and it was uh, divinely written. But um, those are those are my main teachers, and also recovery rooms. You know, that has been a very fabulous, with all its flaws. You know, it's been a fabulous source of healing. So. Those are the four things, the four people, I guess you could say, or entities that have helped me the most. Very cool. Thank you so much. Donna, thanks so much for talking with me today. Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Cure. Powerful book. Thank you for helping us understand addiction and what to do about our addictions. Keep up the awesome focus, and I wish you the best in all you do. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio. Your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.